Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. Okay. Y'all gonna talk to me this morning? Uh, they gave uh, Black Preacher 25 minutes, so I got to go, okay? We ain't got time to play games this morning. We're in Luke 7, 36 to 39. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who it was who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, and that she is a sinner. Have you ever uh, watched one of those shows where you found yourself rooting for the bad guy? Anybody? Yeah, so one of my favorite bad guys to root for, y'all are probably too young, but there's a man named Jack Bauer. Anybody know Jack Bauer? Oh, good. Okay, I'm not too old. So there's a show called 24. For those of you who don't know Jack Bauer, um, um, he was an agent at what's called the CTU, which is a counterterrorist unit. And so they would actively hear terrorists in the United States, uh, and they would find ways to neutralize the threat. And so as you're watching the show, you know the threat. You know the danger that will occur if the threat is not neutralized. But a lot of times, these cases are so highly confidential that not everyone in the show is even privy to all the information. So sometimes, as you're watching the show, we have to see Jack has to go rogue even from his own people. He has to become what we call a rebel. And so, because I know what he's up against, I find myself rooting for him, even though I know he's breaking the rules, even though I know what he's doing is considered illegal and sometimes unacceptable, I'm still rooting for him, I'm rooting for the rebels, so much so that I would find myself on the edge of my couch like a mad woman yelling things like, Jack, kill him! Like, like, I know she looked like an old lady, but she got a bomb. Take her out. Like, stuff that a pastor probably shouldn't be yelling. But me and my husband, we are into the show. We are literally rooting for the rebel. Why? Because I know Jack Bauer. He's a good man. He loves this country. And I know that what he's doing is for the better of everything. And so I'm not just rooting for the rebel. I'm rooting for a rebel with a cause. A rebel who's trying to save his country. A rebel with a cause. You know, Jack Bauer reminds me of Jesus in this way. Jesus, y'all, he was a rebel. And no, he wasn't killing, up, killing people and blowing up buildings, but if you don't think Jesus was a rebel, you're reading the wrong Bible. He was a rebel in every sense of the word. It's what he came to do. He came to rebel against the societal rules and to take down the religious establishments of the day. He was a rebel, but he was not just a rebel. Jesus was a rebel with a cause. And every time we see him rebelling in scripture, often it's for one reason, his children. He rebelled for his children. We are the beneficiaries of Jesus' rebellion. So we're gonna see today, really quick, really quick, a story about a woman who was coming from a life of sin to give her life to Jesus. And Jesus is breaking a lot of cultural rules in order to do what he's about to do. He's acting very unexpectedly so quickly. I wanna just show you the unexpected things of Jesus. I want you to show that he acts these unexpected ways in our lives as well. That we get to re receive the, the, the rebellion of Jesus. And it's for our benefit. So we see he acts in unexpected acceptance. He acts with unexpected justice and an unexpected grace. Can I pray? God, would you cover? Would you speak, oh Lord? If you speak, if you don't speak, we have come for nothing. So God, would you use every single word out of my mouth? Would you divide it up around, these, around each of these people, God? Give them exactly what they need. You know. Speak, oh Lord, your children are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
He functions with an unexpected acceptance. Jesus was invited to dinner by a Pharisee, and he was there. As he was there, the sinful woman heard about it, and she came. Now, we don't know what her sin was, but commentaries likely say she was a prostitute, a woman of some type of sexual sin. And so just knowing that about her, we have to know that she was probably in deep pain. We have to know that she was broken. We have to know that she was looking for love in all the wrong places, as are some of us. We can assume that she was a woman of, of deep hurt, probably aching for healing and connection to be known and seen and loved. Because here's what we know about prostitution. No one wants to be doing it. She's dying for a way out, dying to find some peace and some real joy and purpose until she came. Scholars say that it's likely she heard him preaching elsewhere in town, listened to him talk about forgiveness of God, listened to him say that it was grace even for people like her, and, and that likely right then she believed for her forgiveness. Now, can you imagine what that would have felt like? To be shunned by everyone, to have your story disregarded and to only be known for what it has turned you into. And then you hear this rabbi say that if you want, your sins can be forgiven. That if you want, you can repent and every sin you've ever committed will not only be forgiven but forgotten. If you want, you can know God for yourself. This woman hearing this on this day surrenders herself to his love so much so, scholars say, that probably at a later time she hears he's at dinner at this Pharisee's house and she doesn't care what anyone would think of her. She does, all she does is walk straight into this house, uninvited and unwelcome to fall at her Lord's feet and say thank you. Only she has no words. Her gratitude just comes out in tears. Just tears, tears that proves she understands the weight of what this man came to do for her. Tears that prove she understands that she should be disqualified from this grace he speaks of and yet at the same time realizes it was made just for her. Tears that prove that she does not care what anyone thinks about what she is doing because she knows he is truly worthy of it all. He is worth the disgusted look she's getting as she's on her knees at this very moment, weeping before him. He's worth the shame she is casting down by letting her hair down in public. He is worth all the things that may happen to her after this moment. This is a woman who knows knows he is worthy of it all, and so she gives it to him. And the crazy thing is, he receives it. He receives all, listen, he receives it. Y'all, this should not be happening. Culturally, he shouldn't have received anything she had to offer him. She should not have been able to even approach him. Yet here she is, fully vulnerable and fully accepted with all her past and all of her story with with no questions being asked. Her background didn't matter, only her posture did. That is the crazy thing about Jesus. That's That's all he cares about. We have a God who functions in unexpected acceptance. A God who says, I will come and change your life. I will heal you. I will comfort you. I will transform you from the inside out. No matter what your background or story, he functions in an unexpected acceptance. But none of that matters if we don't know how to receive it. And for some of us, we've received this grace and we're fully walking in it. That God accepts me. And we're fully walking in that. But for others of us, it is a struggle. Why? Because as great as it is to hear that we are accepted by God, the harder thing to do is often become accepting of ourselves. Can we talk about it real quick? I don't think we realize there's a connection between the two. That some of us, y'all, are so riddled with shame and low self-worth and contempt and self-hatred. For some of us, we have been believing excruciating lies most of our lives, and they are totally connected. And so we have to deal with this because it will be harder to receive that we are accepted by God if we are constantly living in rejection of ourselves. 
At some point in my life, I developed a spirit of self-hatred. And I, I didn't even know it at the time. Someone mentioned it to me over a decade ago. Sorry about that. And I, and I didn't even believe it, but fast forward to I moved to LA and I got in proximity with people in therapy. And God just opened my eyes and I began to realize, man, there are things that I believe about myself that are affecting what truth I can and cannot receive from God. We do this in everyday life. Think about it, if I'm convinced that I'm ugly and you tell me I'm pretty, do I just receive the words that you're saying? Y'all can talk. No, I think you lie, right? If I'm convinced that I'm not smart and you tell me I'm intelligent, I don't just receive that. We do the same thing with God that we cannot even receive the truth that God is saying about us because most of the time we've been, we spent all of our lives partnering with a lie. This is exactly what we do with God. Can I tell you something I learned about this? Can I nerd out for one second? Really? One second? Neuroplasticity. Have anybody, if, you, if you know this and you study this, just ignore me because I probably don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but this book, Dr. Kirk Thompson, he's a, he's a psychologist, Christian psychologist, a book called The Anatomy of the Soul. It talks about the connection between neuroplasticity, neuroscience, and spiritual disciplines. Fascinating book. He talks about a, a guy named Donald Hebb, who out of his research on learning and memory grew a concept known as Hebb's axiom. I'm gonna come back to the Bible in one second. It's this idea that neurons in the brain that fire together, wire together. In other words, neurons that repeatedly activate in a particular pattern in your mind are statistically more likely to fire in that same pattern the more they are activated. Once the initial neurons in the network fire, there is a very high probability that the related neurons will also activate and move along the same pathway, not veering off the path. Think of it like this. If you had to make your way through a dense jungle forest and no one had traveled that way before, you might make your first path with a machete. And it's possible that someone could come along later would probably be unable to trace your steps given the thickness of the foliage. However, if a series of people followed directly behind you, they would increasingly wear down the path making it easier to recognize your trail. And the more pr frequently people traverse that route, the more likely future travelers will be, would use an established path rather than create a new course. And once the travelers begin this course, they would unlikely decide to wander off. In fact, the probability is very high they would follow the trail to the very end. This is what neuroscience is talking about, memory. It, it, when we remember something, we're literally refiring the same neurons. And it's over and over and over again. That's why I can know how to make spaghetti because I make it every single week, even though my family hates it. But on Thanksgiving, <laughs> on Thanksgiving, I have to pull out the cookbook because I have not refired, I have not fired those neurons over and over and over again. I've not created that pathway. You need to understand, this is why when God talks about think on these things, this is God, the science is just catching up to the word of God says. We're, we're constantly thinking bad things about ourselves. Guess what? Those neuropathways are being created, and we're naturally going there over and over and over again. But what if we decide to create a new neuropathway? What if we decide to actually begin to th think differently about ourselves so that we can actually believe we are who God says we are and be able to accept everything that God has for us? You understand what I'm saying? My daughter, our, our minds are so powerful. And my daughter, Karis, came to me. She's eight years old and she said, Mom, I can't sleep. She's afraid of dying in her sleep for some reason. And she came up and we just were like praying through it. And we were up to like two o'clock in the morning because she was just scared. I said, babe, here's what I want you to do. This is the practice that I've been doing, practicing joy with my mind. I said, I want you to get a thought where you found a memory where you had deep joy. Deep joy. And for me, I do deep joy in the presence of God where I felt both of those things. I said, I want you to start, just think about it. Think about everything that happened. Think about all the stuff. Remember how it felt. Just sit in that moment. And, and I said, I want you to do that. As you go to bed tonight, I want you to think on those thoughts. And just remember that. I said, because here's the deal, Care. You are in your bed anxious and terrified, but you're actually safe. You're safe. In this moment, anyway, you're safe. 
But because your mind is thinking that you're not going to, you're imagining a future where you won't be safe, you begin to feel anxiety and panic. I said, Karis, what if you imagine something different? Because if, if your imagination is that powerful, what would it look like if you imagined joy? What would it look like if you imagined being in the presence of God? What would it look like if you imagined good things? When Jesus says, when the Paul says, think on these things, this is what he's talking about. When Paul, the Paul says, take every thought captive into the obedience of Christ, this is what he's talking about. Church, if we want to start living into actually who we are, receiving everything God has for us, including his acceptance and his love and his grace, we got to begin to think new thoughts about ourselves, you understand? We cannot live in rejection. So that means when that lie comes up that says, I am not loved, I have to take that thought captive, create a new neural pathway and say, no, for God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son. When that lie says, I am not forgotten, I gotta take that thought captive, I gotta create a new neural pathway that says, no, for he knows the plans he has for me. Once for my good and not to harm me. When that thought comes says, I am incapable, I need to take that thought captive, create a new neural pathway that says, no, I am a masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do every single thing he's called me to do on this earth. We have the power in us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to actually begin to be, be and believe we are everything he said we are. If this woman had stayed in her shame and feelings of unworthiness, she would have never been changed. But she didn't. She went and received his grace for her life. And for some of us, God may grace us to be able to receive this supernaturally in a moment where you just believe you are who he said you are. And you fully live in your acceptance of him. But for others of us, it's going to come to the renewing of our mind daily, remembering who we said he said we are over and over and over again. He functions in unexpected acceptance, and we have to as well. Amen. Listen, the second thing we see that he functions in an unexpected justice. He says this uh, in verse 40, 39 to 40, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Why is he saying this? Because he knows that the prophet would know that according to the law that she could not touch him. They would have to be declared unclean. In other words, he's saying that Jesus, he can't be a man of God or he would know we don't touch sinners like her. This is who th- tells us two things about Simon. That not only was he unaware of who Jesus was, but he was unaware of who he was. He says, she is a sinner. And look how Jesus replies. Jesus answered and said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. He had no idea he was about to get schooled. <laughs> Two people owed uh, money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly. Simon says, she's a sinner. Jesus immediately says, Simon, let me tell you a story about two people that owed a man. You see how slick he is with it? Simon says, she's a sinner. Let me tell you a story about two people that owed a man. You see, the problem is that Simon made the mistake of thinking that only one of them did. And that spirit is alive and well today. Can we talk about it? It is so easy to call out someone else's sin and not be accountable for your own. We all got a Pharisee in us, right? We all do. And can you imagine what it did for this woman? To hear this, as she's crying at his feet, she hears him. Jesus, tell her accusers, you both have debts. This woman who's been made to feel like she's the worst of them all, now to hear Jesus say, this man who has accused her was in, no, in effect no better than her. They both did not have enough. They both came up short. You see, what he's doing is he's creating this level playing field that brought the Pharisee's spirit of pride down and the woman's spirit of hopelessness up. He dignified her in the presence of those who humiliated her. Why? Because in the love of God, there is no hierarchy. There is no hierarchy. He is unexpectedly just. No one is better than another. Someone's, let me just tell somebody in there, you're not better than the other person here. There's no one in here you're better than. 
And let me tell someone else, there's no one in here you're worse than. Unexpectedly just. God says, it's, it's an even playing field. That's what he does. He evens the playing field. Why? Because there's no, he's, there's no hierarchy in the love of God. No one's better. Why? Because Jesus is saying the amount of debt doesn't matter because you all have the same problem of not being able to pay it. The same problem. And we don't like that. We don't want to be on the same levels as certain people. Am I right? Y'all quiet. Y'all fake. <laughs> on the same level as certain people, right? Because if I have to see you on my level, then what do I have left to make me feel better about myself? Can we talk about it? Because it's in the church. You see, oftentimes the pride in which we judge one another is oftentimes an attempt to sue the insecurities we have in ourselves. The pride in which we judge one another is oftentimes an attempt to sue the insecurities we have in ourselves. I need to think you're worse than me so I don't have to feel so bad about being me. You see that? In, God, God, in, in God's economy, it does not exist. God says you are both, you are just, he's an unexpectedly just person. So this is for the person in this room who thinks you are worse off. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie from the pit of hell. I mean, the person that thinks you are so far along that you can leave others behind, that's a lie as well. We all need each other, and it all needs the cross of Jesus Christ, amen? That's what he's doing. That is what he's doing to Simon. He's saying, Simon, you don't get to tell, use her to, to make you feel better about yourself. You don't get to do that. That's not how it works here because we are all in need. We, we, none of us can pay it. We are all in need of the cross of Christ. He is unexpectedly just. Why? Because he's also unexpectedly gracious. Look at what he says in verse 44. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water from my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Listen to Jesus' question. Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see her? Not her past, not, not her shame. Do you, do you see her heart? He said, you didn't give me water for my feet, but she has not stopped wetting my feet with her hair, which is customary in the Jewish time for a guest. He said, you have not given me a kiss, which again is customary when you're greeting someone. He said, but from the time I entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. The same with the oil. It is custom to anoint your guests with oil, and you haven't. Yet she's poured her most expensive perfume on me. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're paying attention to the wrong thing, Simon. You're so busy looking at her, you haven't even looked at yourself. Look at the way she's loving me. Look at the differences between you and her. And as Jesus is saying this, her response, he's saying her response to my presence is directly related to her understanding of my providence. She knows what I've done for her. She knows what I've done for her. You see, it, because here's what we need to realize. Your appreciation for grace will only go as far as your awareness of your need for it. I'm going to say it one more time. Your appreciation for grace will only go as far as your awareness of your need for it. Meaning, if I'm unaware that I need it, I will not appreciate it when I see it. This was Simon. He was witnessing grace, but he couldn't appreciate it because he didn't think he had a need for it. This woman, though, was aware of the distance between her and God. 
And because she was aware of herself, when the grace of God came her way, she overwhelmingly responded to it. And she was honored because of it. He says, little forgiveness, little love. He said, but because I have forgiven her much, look how much she is loving me. And I honor that. See, here's where some of us get confused. We don't understand that the grace of God works like that. In our minds, the less you sin, the less you are forgiven from, the better, right? In our minds, that's just common sense. The less you're forgiven from, the better. That's why people who have like uh, um, testimonies that are just like, you know, uh, blameless and beautiful, you're just like, you celebrate them. But those who come from like the wonky backgrounds, it's like, ooh, you know? We celebrate, the less you've been forgiven for, the better. We think in God's economy that's the case, but here's the deal, that's only better if we're boasting in ourselves. I haven't done much, yay me. But if we're boasting in the grace of God, then the more you are forgiven from, the more radical it is. The more radical it is. You see, in Jesus' kingdom, he doesn't simply take into account what you've done, but he takes into account how far you've come. That matters to him. This is why the story of the prodigal son is so important, where he went out and was wild and doing his thing and get all the chicks to go out. He was just doing the most out there. And still, when he comes, God says, where's the robe? Cut the fatted calf. He came from a far way. He, came, he went and was doing the most, and still God says, the, the, how far he's come matters to me. We're celebrating tonight. This is why Paul describes himself as the chief of all sinners. I'm the chief of all sinners. I I own that title. That's who I am. He's acknowledged. He says himself that way. This is what the grace of God, he talks about. God's grace is so beautiful. It really is about how far you've come. You don't have to do less in order to receive it. As much as you've done, you're still welcome. But here's the deal. We cannot think of this as a license to sin where now God's grace will cover everything, so let me just go on and do my thing. We can't think of it as a license to sin, but what this is, is this is a license to confess. It's a license to confess that we don't have to lie. You don't have to lie. You don't have to be ashamed. In God's kingdom, there is an unexpected grace for even the chief of all sinners. This is important because there's somebody in this room tonight who thinks they have gone so far that the grace of God cannot cover it. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the grace of God was designed for that. Designed for that. The key is understanding the grace you've been given and then responding accordingly. We serve a God who functions in unexpected acceptance. Wherever you're at, no matter your story, You're welcome. Unexpected justice, we're all on the even playing field and his cross covers it all. And then we serve a God who functions in unexpected grace. The worst thing you've ever done, Jesus says, it's still covered. It's still covered. And that is supposed to set us free. Free enough, just like like this lady, to be able to go through a crowded room of people and get on my knees and say, thank you, Jesus. Free enough to not care what anybody says. When you understand what he's done for you, worship is the only response. 
He's a rebellious God. And we are the beneficiaries of his rebellion. My prayer is that you would take advantage of it. That he's not like everyone else, that you would receive everything he has for you in Jesus' name. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we see in this story, God, that um, you are so kind, you are so loving, you are so gracious. And God, that even the worst things that we've ever done, God, for some reason, you still want us. You still have space for us, and your cross still covers it. So God, I pray today for just freedom. Anybody who's struggling, anyone who is suffering in shame and feels like they've done too much, they've gone too far, God, we pray against that in the name of Jesus, that there will be a freedom to just come, to trust you, to love them, to receive them, and to speak life over them, God. Your love is like none other. May we receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, the altar's open. You guys can come up here and write your cards as you want. God bless you.